Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. I bring greetings from City Presbyterian Church in Oklahoma City. Um, we started that church in 2011. It's been going great. Thank you for your prayers. We pray for you. Previous to that, I did RUF at OU for um, 10 years down in Norman. And previous to that, many of you know me, but many of you don't. I see some unfamiliar faces. But I graduated from college at the University of Missouri and moved to Stillwater in 1993. Uh, um, so I was 22 years old. I got married the next March to my wife, Julie. She also lived here. She worked for Russ Tudner. And uh, my wife got pregnant a month after we were married. I know this may be TMI, but um, that's what happened. And my daughter was born three months premature, Ruth Servan. Uh, Tom didn't deliver her, but he was there right after she got delivered. And then, uh, so we had an exciting three years. She's 23 now, engaged, getting married this summer, so she's doing great. So it's been an awesome time. Um, I worked for the Navigators back then with Gary. Hi, Cindy. Um, and we uh, attended um, Countryside Baptist Church. And uh, I was so excited when Grace Stillwater got planted by Jonathan and uh, Rachel. And they are great friends of ours and super excited for the Bakers to be here. Good to see you all. They attended with us for a while. Good friends. So it's like reunion time for me. The last time I was here, I was in the same room, and I hear that I'm not going to get the opportunity to be in this room very often. So that's super exciting for y'all. That is a thrill to hear. God has been blessing you and blessing your church, blessing uh, the RUF work, blessing the pastors and their uh, families. So that is a lot to praise Jesus for. I also want to tell you that um, when I was a... Uh, working for the Navigators, one of my first students that I met was Matt Wiley. And Matt and I spent a ton of time in Kerr dorm. I basically almost lived there, it felt like. And now he's planning in Shawnee, and so he's been with us for this year. He's doing great. Uh, you'd be really proud of him and thankful for him, of course. So keep him in your prayers. They're about to launch here in another few months. So he's got a really wonderful group together. Uh, and it's awesome to see God plant his churches. Okay, I'm not here to tell you about all that. I'm here to talk about God's word for you. We have just sung a little bit from Isaiah 43, but I want to read before I start so you can have this in mind to hear what it is I'm going to talk about. This is for Isaiah 43, the first um, four verses. This is from the English Standard Version. We're going to cover the rest of the chapter, and I'm going to dip into... Uh, chapter 42, and I'm going to head over to chapter 44 a little bit, but we're going to park ourselves in chapter 43. And this is what Isaiah writes a long time ago, still relevant for today. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, He created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen. Man, I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about floods and fires. I did some research, 
and I've lived through a few experiences. Remember, I think it was three years ago, there was that, you may not remember because you're not in Oklahoma City, but there was a, after the big tornado in Moore, the last one, wrecked everything, there was another one that came a week later, and it, it never funneled, but it parked itself over Oklahoma City and just sat there for a whole day and rained. But it looked like it was going to, and so everyone took off, and I went down, uh, grabbed my family, my dog, and my 85-year-old neighbor who refused to leave until we forced her to get in the car. We drove down actually to Moore, of all places, because um, in Moore, the one place that didn't get destroyed was the theater. I don't know if you remember that, the Warren Theater. And so we knew that was going to stand up. And so we were in the theater for several hours, and it's strange to be in the theater with all these people in the hallways and dogs and cats, and it's just a strange experience. So we came back, and um, everything was okay. We had no power. And, uh, and the next morning, we were, we were fine, and I realized that if I have no power and it's rained all day, my basement is flooded, and I was right. The sump pump is not going to work with no power. And so I had up to my waist in cold water in my basement, everything down there destroyed. And so I started, uh, I spent the day just one bucket at a time because no one else could get down there because there wasn't enough room to go up and down the stairs one bucket at a time getting rid of the water in my basement by hand, old school way. Now that's not a terrible disaster, okay? that, but that happened not too long ago. That's one little flood, a personal flood story. When I, when I researched more floods, in China in 1931, there were 70,000 square miles that had 10 to 15 feet of water for three to six months. 140,000 people died almost right away, and it is estimated that 3.7 million people died as a result of this flood. Whoa. That's a lot different. Let's talk about fires. We've all heard of the Great Chicago Fire, eight, uh, 1870, where uh, O'Leary's cow you know, knocked over in the milk barn. And only 300 people died in that fire. Uh, 90,000 people were left homeless because of that. When Napoleon reached Moscow in 1812, he, he encountered no resistance. But the, the Russians had set the city on fire. And the fires killed 12,000 people and burned three-quarters of the city. And lastly, listen to this one. In Tokyo in 1923, there was a typhoon that came over and started a fire, which is sort of messes with your brain. 38,000 people died from the fire, and 142,000 people died as a part of that disaster. Okay, those are big fires. What about at my house? Well, last March, I was uh, sitting outside in my little fire pit, right? And it was a beautiful evening, and I was having a great time. I was probably smoking a cigar. And my fire pit uh, filled up, but I wasn't done. So I needed a place to put the ashes. And this serves as a public service announcement. <laughs> you probably already know this, uh, but uh, just let me remind you, don't put ashes in your dumpster. But, however, I did that. It was late. I wasn't thinking clearly. And um, two days later, I had a literal dumpster fire in my backyard. We found that out because the, the, you know, the personal dumpster things 
we're sitting in the back right next to all the electrical wiring on the outside of the house, which went off like fireworks. It was amazing. Uh, the fire trucks came. Uh, the back of the house was wrecked, not destroyed. And so that resulted in about two months of not sleeping in the house because we didn't have electricity, smelled like smoke. Uh, my wife wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> it was just a huge hassle. It was terrible. Big floods, small floods, big fires, small fires. We pray for rain, and then we can get too much right? Fire is fine when it's in its place, but when it gets out of control, it wrecks so much. It can destroy everything. And Isaiah is telling us that God is with us in the midst of big and small fires and floods. Now, I wish that the Lord would say through the book of Isaiah, there won't be any no fires, no floods. And someday we're going to get to that place where there won't be any. But we're not at that place now. And he doesn't prevent them all. But he promises to be with us in the midst of floods and fires, big and small. So we're going to talk about that. That's the theme. Uh, that's what our text has before us. And I want to just do two simple points. Our problem and God's solution. Pretty cinch. Our problem, God's solution. And our problem is not with floods and fires. We're the problem. So when you look at the text, um, if we flip over to 42, uh, 42, 18 through 25, this is one of the spots where sometimes the Bible makes God sound mean, or God sounds mean. Because he is taunting, sort of, wouldn't you think, uh, people when he says this, hear you deaf. And look, you blind, that you may see. Okay, if you're deaf and you get told to hear and you get blind, you get told to see, like, that doesn't sound nice. That's taunting. But then he says, who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but he does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. And they have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. So, so what the Lord is doing, he's saying, you are deaf and blind by choice. You are not seeing or hearing my words because you have shut my words out. You're not seeing my actions because you choose to not see and so he's talking about the spiritual nature of their condition in rejecting God. Not literal deafness and blindness. He's calling them to move from their bad place to a new place where they can see and hear and experience. And, and you notice that it's not just seeing and hearing. He calls them plunderers and looters. Trapped. Hidden. Hiding. And then, I think the worst part of this is in 22. I already read it. They have become plunder with none to rescue. Spoil with none to say, restore. See, they are in this place 
where they cannot be rescued, or they don't think they can be rescued. Plunder with none to rescue. Friends, at, at Grace Stillwater, at, at City Prez, we talk about stories of rescue. We love to tell stories of rescue. Stories of rescue are stories of salvation, where God comes through and he saves, right? This is a gospel message, and they're saying there are none to rescue. That's hell on earth. It's the opposite of what we want in church, in salvation, with the gospel. God reminds them that He has named them. This is not who they are. He, he has named them Jacob and Israel, and they are called by God to be set free, to be restored and rescued, and they have wandered so far. We're all prone to wander, aren't we? They have sinned. They have said, your commands are too much for us. And God judges this as wrong. His assessment is for His people. See, what I'm trying to tell you is, we are not talking about the Assyrians, or the Babylonians, or the Midianites, or the Amalekites. We're not talking right now about the Muslims and the Buddhists and the atheists, and the secular humanists, right? And in fact, for our purposes this morning, we're not talking about the Methodists, or the Catholics, or the Pentecostals, or the Baptists. Right now, we're talking about Grace Stillwater, Presbyterians, and the PCA. Good folk, like us. And so we are being asked by the Lord, to consider, where am I deaf to the words of the Lord? And where am I blind to the things of God? Where am I imprisoned and I could be set free? Where am I living my old self? Or I could be living my new self? Do I want rescue and restoration? Or am I happy to be stuck? Do I want to obey the, the Lord? Take the narrow way? Or am I happy to continue wandering off to myself? Am I going to continue to make excuses and allowances to not follow the Lord? Or am I going to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever? That's the problem. What about the solution? There is a solution. Before we get to the solution, I want you to realize there's a dilemma here, see? The dilemma is that God has made a covenant to be with his people, right? And the people are like, yeah, we love that covenant. We're committed to it 100%. We agree to it. And then we fail over and over again. Does God fail his part of the covenant? No. But he is now covenanted to a failure people, a sinful people, a lying people maybe. We are failing the covenant. I want to make sure that we, I go back to this, we, we talked about it already, but it's not just always them. You know, we, we often think about they fail. Uh, they don't live good lives. They don't run their families well. They don't follow the laws. They don't respect authority. They don't express themselves. They don't love their kids well. They don't communicate effectively. They don't love the environment. They don't help the poor. They certainly don't vote correctly. 
And we do. Like, we can be squishy about the rules, so then we are the rule followers, so that we look positive. But I want to remind you that this is not God's viewpoint. This is not the way God sees it. Okay? And his is the one that counts. He's not impressed by your votes, by your good works. And so we've got to see ourselves in the text, not just apply it to everyone who's not here. We've got to wake up to the reality and we've got to get out of where we are. But, but the beauty is, is our problem is God's remedy. Amen. Our problem is God's remedy, and we don't have to shape up in order to get grace. It wouldn't be grace if that were true. This is the good news that God gives us His mercy. He fulfills the covenant. He gives it to us in grace in the Old Testament. How does that work? What does it look like? Well, if you look at 43... We see all of these themes in here that, that remind us of how God works with his broken people, with us. The first is he, he just he touches into creation and redemption. Good 43.1. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. So this is the creation connection, right? It's Genesis talk, creating, forming, naming by God, that we all, all people, all people, are created in the image of God. We all bear His glory, however marred because of sin. We're glorious ruins. But we are all to be respected as people. We're His creation. And so God breaks into creation in the first place to make everything, and He breaks into creation when He makes new creations. When he regenerates his people, he's the preceding actin. He's the first mover. And we respond as he moves toward us. Tender, faithful, forceful. And he says, you are mine. I am yours. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. There's a power of the Creator as he lavishes his creativity and generosity on his people. And the king, creator king, gathers his people to himself. And he responds when they're in trouble. This is what kings do when their people are in trouble. So the first thing is we see creation and redemption, okay? The second thing we see is protection. Protection. This is the part in a superhero movie where the damsel in distress or whoever's in trouble is wondering, like, is anyone going to come to save me? Maybe Batman's busy. Maybe Spider-Man can't hear me. And there's that moment. It's like, I don't know. I'm not going to be rescued. And, and here, you're in the bad guy's clutches. And, and the Lord shows up. He's, he comes to triumph. He doesn't say there will be no bad times. Right? That's that part right here. When you, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Don't we wish he would say, no fires, you won't walk through any, you're going to be fine. But he doesn't. And I think of this like um, the freshman coach, or the, the, the coach of the freshman team, 
in cross country or football or basketball or debate team or I don't know ballet team whatever uh, I don't want to be just one type of sports but he's got the freshmen all together and, and he, he or she says to them hey listen team we have a long journey ahead and guess what we're gonna go through it we're gonna run wind sprints we're gonna run stadium steps we're gonna do a million burpees you're gonna puke we're gonna get up at 6 a.m. Uh, we're gonna lose games uh, we're going to fight with each other probably sometimes. And at the end, if you stick with me, we are going to win. We're going to win. It's going to take suffering. There's going to be suffering. But if you trust me, we will be a team that loves each other and fights together and has each other's backs. And we will win. We may be the ugly ducklings. We may be the mighty ducks. We may go through fires and floods, but the training ground is important as we walk toward being with Jesus forever. It's not to be spared. It's going to feel overwhelming, but you know what? Maybe we're not as overwhelmed as we think and as we say. That's a word we, we use a lot. But the Lord says you will not be overwhelmed. So, as we need protection, we admit to Him that we have floods and fires. What are yours? Big and small. Home, at home, at school, at work, in your marriage. When you got fired, when you come to the limit of your patience, in your past, at the hospital, late at night, I remind you that God is with you. He's there. You are loved. Fear not. You're not a worthless grasshopper like in the other text in Isaiah 40. You are an heir. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are the bride of Christ. You are beloved. You are cherished. You are sung over with gladness because He loves you. But He doesn't spare the suffering. When you see that happen, you become a witness to the Lord. You have something to talk about. Look at verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. See, fear can be crippling. God's told us not to fear. But we are His witnesses that He comes through. We can feel alone without God, and it can be tough in the midst of it because God doesn't prevent every bad thing but He does control the winds and the waves. He doesn't stop everything from happening. You know, and you've got to think through that, right? I, he didn't stop. He could have stopped. He didn't stop. But I was touched. That heart attack, that sickness, that accident, when I lost the baby. He, he didn't stop that awful night. He could have. He didn't stop this awful marriage. And He could have. He didn't stop this awful injustice. And He could have. He's allowed me to go through this. I think it's very proper, and the Bible's filled with this, filled with this. We need to reclaim this in the church. That, that when we think about those things and encounter those things and are going through, it's very important, biblically, that we lament. We raise our voices to God. We raise our cries to Him. We scream and shout to God. 
with fists and fingers. We wonder what he's up to and maybe tell him he's not doing a good job. I want you to realize that that threat, if it comes to be a lament, it can turn to a cry of salvation and then it can become a song of confidence. If I can make it through that and the Lord is with me, I have confidence in the next thing. You, you go from I am afraid to do not fear to I will not fear. You, you go from Psalm 22, 1, I, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for God is with me. You see that progression, that movement, where we become the witnesses of God's people because we can say that God is with us and He comforts us. We can say we have no Savior but our God. We can say that He's our Deliverer and our Rescuer, our strong tower, our mighty fortress. In God we trust. We don't trust in horses or chariots. We don't trust in strength or beauty or charm or IQ or our Myers-Briggs scores or our GPAs or our education or our neighborhoods. It's certainly not politics. Oh my goodness. God becomes our bottom line. Not our family values. Not our educational advancement. Not our goodness. Not our reputation. Not our generational wealth. Not our freedoms. Not fighting the man. Not a different religion. Not being in a political party or a denomination. And the weird thing about all this is that God uses us as His witnesses. What a crazy plan is this? I mean, he has used Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Leah and Rachel and David and Ruth and Rahab and you and me, as frail as we are. Feeble people point to a big God. The weak and the foolish point toward the great and the mighty God who saves and rescues, who chooses and works in you and me. Amen. There's a present future glory. Look, if you go to 43 at the end, 15 and 19, you see that we're headed towards somewhere. We're, we're headed to a place where we can tell our stories of rescue and redemption along the way. We can talk about how God is, is present and we need Him, and He's at work, like Shane said. And there's this mysterious trust as we go with us, as we go toward this place. The, the Lord is standing over us. Remember, it's the One who created everything, and who can measure the waters in the hollow of His hand, who can look at the stars with the span of His hand, who can measure the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky, the hairs on her head. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, is defeating our foes and bringing us to this new place. Our enemies are not invincible. They're not. The Assyrians weren't. The Babylonians weren't. 
Rome wasn't. The dynasties that we think are, are going to last forever don't. Dictators die. I mean, remember, Rocky wins, right? This is how the Cold War ended. So ISIS is going to lose. Neo-Nazis are going to lose. Hate groups are going to lose. Presidents and governors have term limits, but our God reigns. We need our enemies defeated and driven back. And remember that when the people who heard this heard it, they weren't driving back to their suburban homes, right, to watch some football. They were coming back to Jerusalem, having been displaced, having been exiled far away. They would come back 500,000 miles to a devastated city with nothing. Nothing. And God's giving them hope that he makes all things new. He plants miracles in the desert. And he was at work then, and he's at work now, and he can rebuild God's people and their places, and he can rebuild your life now. He can rebuild from the ashes and ruins and decisions you've made and mistakes you've made, the wrong loves you've cultivated, the bad grades, the low pay, the jobs, the education, the fatherlessness, the felonies, the overbearing parents, if anyone has any of those. He can rescue you from marriages and divorces. God can make a way. He can resurrect your love for Him so you can see and you can hear. He can calm your anxious heart when it feels like Assyrians and Babylonians are attacking. He can bring people from the dead. He has resurrection power. We have two more things. There's a blessing that comes, 44, 1 through 5. God blesses them, see? For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. See, God blesses his people. He made you. He called you. He rescued you. He will help you. Do not be afraid. When we suffer, we are going to end up as champions. These are impossible prayer requests. At City Prez, when we get to our Christmas offering, we also bring impossible prayer requests. So you bring an offering of something out of your abundance, and you bring a need out of your neediness, right? And I always tell people, like, it has to be impossible. Don't tell me it's impossible prayer requests if it's literally possible. So they've gotten better over time, right? Uh, including um, levitation. I've gotten that prayer request. That's a good one. Bring my grandma back from the dead. That's an impossible prayer request. And so there's some, they're getting the hang of it. The Lord is answer, answering these things that people need and want. This reminds us, this imagery reminds us that Christianity is not just intellectual assent. There are pictures and there are places that we go, where we dream of. It, it, it connects into our hopes and our longings. It does involve the intellect. It does involve logic. But Jesus is not the answer to some elaborate Sudoku puzzle. He, he's not just a theorem. The Lord Jesus Christ is a person. We worship God. 
Holy Spirit and Jesus as people. And we are His people. United to Him. And He helps us to flourish. That's exciting. We need that flourishing, don't we? But, but friends, I've got to leave you with this. There's something even more amazing. It's very practical. It's in 43.25. It's a beautiful part of this passage. I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Remember how we started talking about how maybe God is mean and nasty and judgmental and powerful and awful? You know, that's a, a thought that a lot of people have. And the other thought that a lot of people have, and we are told this, this is doctrine these days, narrative uh, for our times, and that is you must be true to yourself. Right? It's one of the worst cultural sins if you judge someone else and don't allow them to be their true self, right? Uh, we hear, be all you can be, be you, you be you. Find your tribe. These are unquestioned truth. And, and there's a certain sense we affirm them. Don't hear me coming down on the whole thing. But we need to be a little more circumspect, right? When we look into ourselves, into our true selves, when we get out of the veneer, what if I am truly a liar? What if I am truly a thief? What if me being me is an adulterer? It's just me being me. What if I'm a, I just love pornography? What if I'm a dropout? What if I'm lazy? What if me being me is obese or anorexic? What if I, just me being me, hates people? What's wrong with that? What if I hate people of other races? What if I hate uh, men? What if I hate women? Is that just my true self, genuinely? <laughs> That's not how it works, right? Christianity says there is a moral authority. There is right and wrong, but God sets the rules for what is and what isn't. And it's a deep, huge process. It's not just the easy stuff. But the good life is walking with God. It's what's right and what's true. And we fail. And, and the Bible's filled with failure, right? I mean, try to find good people in the Bible. You won't find many. And we fail. We know this. We've been talking about it. And if we're honest with each other, it's all the time. I'm a sinner deep down. You know, I have so many sins. Some of them are persistent. Some of them are um, ones that got put on me by my culture that I don't even see because I'm in the culture that has put it on me, right? I have national sins, American sins that are different than other countries' sins. I'm sure that I sin based on my skin color. I'm not trying to, but how could that not be true? I'm sure I sin because of my gender. I'm sure I sin because of my age. I have a generational snobbery, right? Gen Xers are the best. I sin because of the way I was brought up. It, 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 I don't even see it all. I'm sure there's somehow I sin because of my height. I don't know. I'm saying all of that is happening all the time. It's not even just intentional. It's unintentional. It's bias. And I'm blind to those sins, all of them without Jesus. I can't see any. I need help. 
I mean, there's even some I know, right? I'm mean to people. I'm sarcastic. I'm not a good neighbor. I cuss too much. I drink too much beer. I'm proud. I'm a bad friend. I'm greedy. I'm often a Pharisee about rules. And friends, I'm a pastor. This is bad. I'm sure Ryan's worse. <laughs> I mean, we're in trouble. I can't just do better. I can't just work harder. I, I, I do need to do better. I do need to work harder. But friends, the good news today is God forgives. That's why we're here. The good news today is hallelujah, what a Savior we have. I need forgiveness and Jesus forgives. God fulfills his covenant. This is how he does it. He pays the debts. He sets captives free. He gives us new names. He calls us his beloved. He delivers. He rescues. He restores. Because Jesus Christ was stricken, smitten, and afflicted, right? He didn't just live the good life. He didn't do anything wrong. And he got all that. And look at me. I've done all these things, and I'm getting him. Jesus was wiped out. He was cast out. He was blotted out. He went down into the floods and he went down into the fires of hell. And his curse is our blessing and by his stripes we are healed. That's a lot different than just doing better, right? You've heard these songs. Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, remember the day I set you free? I told you you could always count on me. From that day on, I made a vow I'd be there when you want me. Some way, somehow, oh baby, ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no river, valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. That's what the Lord says to us. We're about to sing that in our closing song, I'm sure. Um, I don't know if you listen to Kirk Franklin. Um, maybe, yeah, we got a brother in the house. Maybe sh we should all listen to more Kirk Franklin because Kirk Franklin sings, I've been through the fire, I've been through the flood, I've been broken into pieces, and I've seen lightning flashing from above, but through it all I remember that he loves me and he cares, and he'll never put more on me than I can bear. God is with you, amen. But as great as those two songs are, there's one better, one better, and it's this. Written a long time ago. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, brothers and sisters. The flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, Amen. Amen. What do we do next? We confess our faith. You want? Next, we're going to pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you.
that you are with us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you never forsake us. And we lament to you our personal fires and floods and our state ones and our national ones and our worldwide ones. Maybe there's universal ones. And we call to you to fulfill your promise. And we ask you to give us love for you, to see and to hear and to follow you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thank you, Jesus, for these promises. Thank you that you forgive us of our debts. Help us to forgive our debtors. Commit our lives to you. We ask this in your name. Amen.